Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. All I'm going to say is hello Edinburgh. Listeners, I come to you today from Edinburgh, no less. I've come up here to see friends. Actually, as I speak to you, I'm looking at Arthur's Seat. Arthur's Seat being the large hill in Edinburgh. And I've also just climbed up it, if I'm honest. And all I can tell you is I have been sampling the queer nightlife. I have been sampling the gay scene. Edinburgh, boy, did you deliver. We had a big night out Saturday night. I went to CC Blooms. CC Blooms is an institution, uh, an Edinburgh in- institution, should I say. So we had what well, I think I, I call it a pub crawl, a club crawl. We went to CC Blooms. We had a lovely drink in there, uh, met some of the locals. FYI, they give out condoms and maybe lube. Then we went on to a place called Habana, I think amazing dj shout out to the person behind the bar who looked exactly like charlie from heartstopper we had a right old gas shout out to bill i think it was bill bill had come from a wedding and someone in the group had come out later in life always a fascinating discussion to hear from people who've done that so we had a blast is all i can tell you then we went on to a place called the street Amazing music again. All the DJs from the other places turned up who we'd met over the course of the night. So we ended up in the same place. Then I met a drag artist who has moved here. And we just had a great time. We danced all night. Haven't had one. You know those nights? Not even planned. It just ends up happening. We had a great time. I can't tell you. So how are you all? What's the news? Today, we've got Mark Thompson on the show. Mark is an incredible HIV and AIDS activist. He's a bit of a national treasure, if you will. He was one of the first black gay HIV activists in the UK. He was diagnosed with HIV at 17. And he founded Prepster, the group which basically was the one who lobbied for PrEP to become free on the NHS. And he has done so many incredible things in activism. He's a really interesting man. And more recently, um, over lockdown, actually, he started an Instagram account called Black and Gay back in the day. And it's a digital archive, basically, that documents black queer life in Britain pre-2000 through basically before phones and all of that. So it's all all the photographs are taken, uh, you know, with people's cameras. Remember them? So it was kind of started with Mark and his friends sharing pictures of their own uh, history, being out clubbing and trying to show perhaps a world that 
wasn't shown as much and actually was sort of slightly spurred on by It's a Sin coming out in that time and Mark wanting to share more of his memories from that time that perhaps more suited what he saw, uh, what what his experiences of, of those times as a black gay man. But then it moved on to submissions and now it's become this lovely time capsule of people submitting their own photos and their own black queer history. And then, um, oh, nearly knocked a vase off the table, and now it's turned into a podcast exploring the history uh, and the stories behind the photographs. So that's coming out very soon. I think the first episode is actually already out. It's a brilliant chat and as it's Black History Month, as we know. So talking to Mark kind of is a really beautiful route into queer black history as told by people who were there themselves if that makes any sense rather than it being a sort of um it's not a history lesson it's just personal stories from people's lives so we discussed the archive of photographs and then mark's story is amazing this chat contains all the really fascinating stuff about his life growing up in brixton gay in the 80s the music that defined that time as well it's so brilliant and we're going to add loads of it to the homo sapiens playlist as well so you get to hear because he made a whole two whole sort of playlists of his music from that time um, in a sort of response to It's a Sin or in addition to It's a Sin, I think might be the better wording. Anyway, all fantastic stuff. We've got that coming up and uh, we've got, I've put a link to the brilliant music playlist Mark has made in the show notes as well. So have a listen to that next time you're uh, making your dinner or going for a run or whatever it is. Have you caught up with last week's episode with Lily Cole? God, I hope so. We had lots of nice messages about that. Still available on the feed. They always are. I don't know why I have to say that. Keep emailing us. Hello at homosapienspodcast.com or on Instagram at homosapiens and tell us what you've been getting up to. Send us anonymous agony uncles to be answered. So what's been going on in the world? Aside from Liz Trust tanking the entire economy, uh, we were asking your thoughts because John Waite of... Bake Off fame originally, now Strictly fame, who was Johannes's partner last year, uh, same-sex partner. Um, he did an Instagram video on journalists describing Strictly as too woke, and we sort of asked what you what you all thought of it because John Waite was kind of calling out lots of little bits of subtle homophobia, little bits of subtle prejudice in all different corners. Actually, it's a very interesting video. It's on his Instagram if you haven't looked. Um, and just trying to compare, for example, same-sex couples from last year to this year on Strictly, which, um, you know, straight up, it's, you know, we don't do that with mixed-sex couples. We don't compare them as being the same thing or talk about them trying to tick certain boxes. They are just people doing their thing. So it's ridiculous. Anyway, so have a look at that video if you haven't seen it. It's on John Wade's Instagram. I think it's a reel. But uh, lots of people wrote in just telling us their opinions on the whole thing about Strictly being accused of being too woke. So Paul said, it's noise, a distraction. Ignore and don't give in to the attention it desperately craves. Good point. Ben Andrews, uh, Ben Andrews, the farmer who came on the other week, said, Alison Pearson, who's the person who wrote the article, thrives on the attention she gets from her vitriolic articles. Mm-hmm. Lindsay Lohan's therapist says, well, let's all wait for the new contestants. Prove this and her wrong. She can eat some humble pie. I imagine she thought the exact same thing the year before about the boys and just wasn't given the airtime to write about it. Interesting. Boys being uh, Johannes and John. 
Excellent points by JW, says Deanna Silve. Article seems to treat all people as monoliths, but that's not the case. No, it is not. Mark also got in touch. On the Strictly article, the reason why right-wing commentators write articles like this were explored by Atlantic journalist Adam Serwer in his essay and book, The Cruelty is the Point. And then Mark has sent us a link to that. Thank you. So uh, we should put that in the show notes. Essentially, Sirwa's theory is that they seek to build a community that finds solace in the shared mockery. This is interesting. Of those they see as unlike them. Mm, This tactic was effectively exploited by Trump in the US. Oh, goodness. We're, and we're at Trump, of course. But its effectiveness in the UK is much less certain. In fact, the most recent survey of British social attitudes... Mark's done us another link here, so we're going to put that in as well. Well done, Mark. Thank you for this. We're turning into a links podcast. I love it. Which means... Oh, my God. We're like question time. News night, even. Anyway, uh, the, the survey revealed that the UK population largely has liberal views and those taking anti-woke positions on culture wars issues are firmly in the minority. Well, that's really interesting. It's likely that the author of the article deliberately chose Strictly as her target in the knowledge that her article would get more exposure than it otherwise would have done. Given that it was published by The Telegraph and sits behind a paywall, I suspect very few people have actually read it, (laughs) Uh, including me. While I do not criticise John for so clearly and eloquently calling out the views expressed in the article, I do wonder where the balance should lie. Should these minority views always be called out or will they fade into obscurity if they are simply ignored? Mm, Very interesting point, Mark. I mean, the fact is, when anything changes, and changes for the better, people always kick and scream. And uh, yeah, I think it's it's a really interesting balance that we all have to try and strike is are you going to call people out or are you just going to simply calmly keep moving forwards? And uh, it really depends. But I thought John's comments and takedown were really good. And also, I think what's interesting with the John thing is like he's responding to an article that's essentially about himself and therefore feels uh, motivated to respond very interesting. Thank you for all those. And thank you for those articles to Mark. And thank you for everyone for writing in. Now, Dee Dee got in touch. Boy, did this bring a smile to my face. Dee Dee from New York has been in touch. And Dee Dee sent us a photo. Here's a photo of a 75-year-old trans person meeting Usher, star of A Strange Loop. Now, for anyone who doesn't know, this is me interrupting the email. A Strange Loop is an incredible show on Broadway produced by many people but one of them being Alan Cumming no less and it's a massive hit on Broadway and going back to the email from Didi says um, then the same evening seeing Alan Cumming doing the poetry of Robert Burns gender variant overload from Didi and then the photo of Didi with Usher from A Strange Loop brilliant 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 what a lovely picture that is thank you so much now A Strange Loop is a musical Uh, It's written by a playwright called Michael R. Jackson. The story is about a black gay man named Usher who is trying to write a musical, also called A Strange Loop, about a black gay man trying to write a musical. So it's sort of very kind of clever, postmodern, meta, all of those words. I'm going to go to New York and I'm going to go and see that with my mum. Someone else got in touch. We got a message that I cannot for the life of me find. I think it was on Instagram, but it was from someone about the Edward Eninful episode saying that I had asked Edward if he would have a family. And 
just very and very nicely saying about the use of my word family you know is a couple already not a family and it's really interesting because thank you for writing that in and I'm really sorry I can't find the message I've searched high and low Instagram just for what it's worth is impossible to stay on top of your inbox because you can't mark anything or anything anyway and I'm really surprised that I used that word family because I think I've even spoken about on the podcast before that uh, me and William, my husband, have often spoken about how we are a family and us and our dog before our daughter came along. We were, we are a family and it's really important to acknowledge that and not let people tell you any difference. So thank you for pointing out that I used that word in the wrong context because um, I don't know why I said that. Uh, and yeah, I think um, family is what you choose it to be one and I also think the second thing that's interesting as well is like I love I can't remember who it is often share stuff about family one of those Instagram therapists I follow you know saying if you don't get on with your family as in your blood relatives you don't have to see them it's that simple because unless you know unless it's working for you feel free to step away and I think that's really useful I'm very lucky I really like my family but um you know not everybody is that fortunate so why don't we go and have a little chat with Mark Thompson? Uh, let's hear his story, because it's a wonderful one, and I'll shut up with the yakking. Here you go. I think how I first heard about you was through your HIV activism, but then you started doing Black and Gay back in the day. And yes. uh, it was such a magical thing. And I wonder if you'd just tell me, if we could just start there... Because I think it's really interesting, particularly everybody who listens to this podcast loved Russell T Davies' show "It's a Sin," um, mm-hmm. and but it was interesting that it, it that Instagram account which showed uh, Black queer history or your Black queer youth maybe, uh, and then spiraled onto other people's sharing theirs uh, was sort of sparked because of "It's a Sin." Would that be right? Yes, sort of. I mean, it was it was a series of things that happened. I'd watched It's a Sin on the Friday night when it was broadcast and really enjoyed what I saw, but immediately was struck by the lack of broader representation, right? Yeah. That was one thing. But also, having lived through that time, I recognised the way that we partied and we hung out. And I just thought, I don't know any of that. I, I didn't party to any of that music, uh-huh. which then led to me creating a couple of playlists to reflect some of the music we heard in black and brown clubs. And then I think it was a Saturday. I just, I had this idea of going, wouldn't it be really cool if we had some pictures to accompany it? And Black and Gay back in the day was born from that idea um and just you know took on the life of its own really really quickly Mm. yeah it kind of just became its own thing overnight didn't it pretty much so um because the music in it's a sim was kind of one of the things that people spoke about actually but like you say you created this album so we did two playlists the first one's called it's a sin the black album um which is kind of in reference to artists like jay-z and prince putting out albums which are called the black album and it was also because it was black music. Um, and it was about the stuff that we heard in spaces and pubs and clubs, which were predominantly frequented by black and brown queers in the 80s. Mm. And then a follow-up was called Black and Gay Back in the Day, the party album, 
which was then about looking at the more underground scene that a lot of us went to during that time. Forgive me, I can't remember which one it was that I had listened to, but such good music and such weirdly I don't know what this means probably that I I wonder if what you'll say is well that music just became mainstream Chris that's why you heard it but that music was very much what my dad listened to um and uh he was not a black queer man in the 80s (laughs) (laughs) as far as I know as far as you know but he was like a massive like Will Downing fan but then that moved into the sort of more poppy side and then a lot of the stuff that was on your album I think what it I think what that tells us is that a lot of the black music that people like your dad were probably listening to was kind of some of it was mainstream yeah you know, some of the music on those playlists was in the charts the difference is the commercial mainstream read that as white gay scene mm. were just not playing music by black artists you know, and so at the time, the music in the clubs was either high energy or erasure or a little bit of soft sell. All this music that I love, but it was very poptastic, you know, and black music wasn't making that crossover. Also quite um, glacial, that kind of music that we're talking about, the white club music, if you know what I mean. Like yeah. it was all very of a type whereas there not a lot of soul i suppose i mean absolutely and i think but where, where it shifts and it change changes is the birth of house music you know, so it starts to come together with the soulfulness of and gospelness of house music with the electronica mm. of the 1980s and i think shop boys there one of my favorite bands is a great example of the two coming together the englishness of the Pet Shop Boys with the New York disco club music, electronica, all marries together brilliantly there and becomes this kind of whole new form of music. That's interesting. I would, not knowing enough about it, would sort of define the Pet Shop Boys as actually not joining house music. But I think that's because I never really got it as a kid, you know, whatever that means. If anybody wants to understand why... I, I, I recently wrote something because I love the Pet Shop Boys and I, and I said, you don't have to love the Pet Shop Boys, but if you don't appreciate the Pet Shop Boys, then you really don't love house music. Oh, okay. And one, and one of the greatest house albums of all times is Introspective by the Pet Shop Boys. I mean, it is a house music classic. Interesting. Okay, so we have the Homo Sapiens playlist and that's going on it. Now, one of the things I love about you, Mark, and I know people say it to you a lot, but that your life is full of very interesting, detailed contradictions in a way, or surprising details that actually reveal a lot more. And I think that's possibly why the Instagram account has connected with people and all the things that you do is connected with people. Um, because would you just tell me a bit about your childhood? Because it's it's really fascinating. Yeah. So I'm Black British, Jamaican parent, parents, Um I always describe myself as a grandchild of the Windrush generation. My grandparents came here, my mum and dad came here, and I was born and raised working class in Brixton. Mm. And um, first-born Jamaican son, there's certain expectations that are put on you that I would go to university and I would do all of these things with my life. Um, but I was really lucky that my parents were both incredibly young when they had me, so I was brought up in quite a... We would use the word liberal now. Yeah. They certainly wouldn't have to describe themselves but quite a free family and I think that they both recognize that as a young black boy growing up in this world at that time um, 
I needed a certain amount of freedom. Um, I was raised to understand my place in this world, but also with no limitations. I was raised to understand that I could achieve and I could have anything in this world. And my, my, my maleness and my race would never be barriers to that. And so when I came out, um, it wasn't easy for my parents because I think they both recognised that the world would not be an easy place for me to exist in. But that's why they looked after me. But I think they also recognised my curiosity and my kind of get out there, do see the world spirit. So they supported that. So, and I always think it's really important to tell the story of me coming out because the narrative very often is for black folk, working class folk, that our stories of coming out are always tragic and violent. And they are for some people, Mm. but for me it wasn't. And I, I kind of tell that story in the hope that other people will be brave. But also my mum is a great example to other parents of what they can be and what they should be. Mm. It's almost helping people understand. It's not a new model to be an understanding parent. I mean, I always quote, I mean, I love to quote my mum. When my mum, when people say to my mum, oh my God, you know, you're really amazing what you've done. And my mum said, no, I'm just doing my job. Really, My job is to love my children unconditionally. That's Amazing. It. And who taught her that? I don't know. I've got no idea. It's just the kind of woman that she is. A very cool woman. And so much would be simpler if more parents kind of thought like that. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So then you're out, and was that when you were 17, am I right? I came out when I was 16. My dad found out when I was 21, my mum when I was 16. Got it. So let's go from 16. So great result at home so far with your mum. I haven't told dad yet. You go out onto the London gay scene. What's it like as a young queer black man? So I fell into the, I mean, the, the, the black gay scene in London. I wasn't out and about a lot you know I'm only 16 um, and and I'm studying so there's a certain amount of still some restrictions on what I can do and where I can go but when I do go out it's pretty much pub based you know there are a few really good pubs in the area that I live in in Brixton I make a small circle of friends who are would now be described as queer um, at college where I'm studying my A-levels and I used to go to the Bell in King's Cross which is now Big Chill House 
um, which is like an alternative. So I would go to places like the Bell where they would play indie music and then I'd go to somewhere like the Prince of Wales where it'd be all black. And I just love crossing over the two of them. Interesting. Um, but I was really young. So there was a certain amount of just, just discovery in all of this stuff, you know, that there was this big smorgasbord of things to do and to see. Um, but I would, I would party, I would get drunk, I would fall down mm-hmm. um, and just love being out. So did you find that you, so, um, you know, something that older generations of queer people say on this podcast a lot, and some of them are being, um, what's the word, deliberately contentious, some of them aren't, that when it was all illegal, it was kind of amazing because it was this secret underground world. And when you accessed that, if you were lucky enough to be able to access it and access it safely, it was wall-to-wall you in those rooms. And it was kind of amazing, you know, that you you felt like you were home in such a way that I've, you know, sometimes people say the problem with gay clubs, this is so generalizing, but sometimes some people say now the problem with gay clubs is like it's full of straight people and that's annoying <laughs> because you you don't have that thing I'm talking about, which is like coming home. Did you, so you felt like you had places to go. You had a gang and you didn't, you just wouldn't go to the places that were mainly white. Is that, would that be fair? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I think, there's a, there's a lot to unpack in what you just said. Mm. So I'm going to take it just by the reverse. So in terms of where I went out, it wasn't so much I didn't go to white spaces. Is that number one, one didn't feel welcome in yes. those spaces. So there's that because you need to get through the door. You need to get through the way you're treated inside. The fact that you may be the only person of colour there. But then there's also, I try not to come from these things in terms of a deficit. Part of the reason I went to predominantly black and brown spaces was because the music was the music that I liked. The men that I fancied were in there. Mm-hmm. My friends went to those spaces. So it wasn't about I don't go to those spaces because they're rubbish. I go to these spaces because they fulfill and they nourish me. Yeah. And it feels like coming home. So I think that's really important. But I do think in some ways that we have become victims of our own success Right. And by that, I mean, and it wasn't just about when it was illegal, because, you know, I came at a time where the community was starting to flourish, you know, especially after the darkest days of the epidemic. And I would go to spaces which were predominantly male or predominantly queer, and they were really, really safe. Now, I think the challenge that we've got today, and I go out a lot less because I'm old, mm-hmm. um, is that when you go to places which are much more mixed and straight folk are there, there sometimes become a, becomes a lack of respect for the fact that it is a gay space. So I can't tell you the amount of times I've gone to bars and clubs, and I'm really happy that straight people are there. But when I start getting harassed by straight women, mm-hmm. you know, who think, well, actually, I'm in a gay pub and it's okay for me to touch you. It's okay for me to take up your space. That becomes a whole different kettle of fish, mm-hmm. whereas all are welcome, but respect that is here. But there is also something quite magical when it is a queer space, you know, when we know that we can be ourselves authentically. And when I've been in male-only spaces, which, again, we have to go, they can become quite toxic yes. if we're not careful, as we have seen with some of our more popular venues which no longer exist because they became toxic. But there is something quite magical when you've been oppressed for a really long time 
that you can look around and you know, actually, I'm totally safe here. Mm. And I can be exactly who I want to be. But we have to manage that carefully. It's a thin line. It is a really thin line. And actually, I used to spin out a bit in those very, very male, gay male environments because I just found it too much. Like I felt like it wasn't that I wanted straightness. I just wanted some mix, you know, Mm. because it was just very predatory actually it just became incre- it felt like it was just all about transactional sex and i was like hmm this isn't working for me yeah i mean you know there's the, there's a, there was a whole period of you know tops off muscle boys yes. you know we all look the same we're all marching and dancing to the same beat boom, 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 boom. and it's like oh come on boys mix it up a bit and if you were ever so slightly different to that you were not welcomed, you were not invited. You know, if you just look at places like Mykonos, right? You know, a a friend of mine went to Mykonos recently and they're not binary and they wore a dress and they were in venues and these cis men were going, why are you anywhere in the dress? Really? And that's the issue. Yeah, it's so funny that, isn't it? Because I'll preface this with saying people write in and tell me your version. But I think that sometimes I can find that those gay male spaces that you're talking about are trying to win at masculinity and I'm much more drawn to the places where it's all a bit mixy and no one's trying to win at anything everyone's just expressing um particularly because I didn't feel like I could win Uh, you know I didn't feel like I could win in those spaces I didn't have that body I was awkward you know but Mark I've seen the photos you were winning uh you were incredibly handsome and still are but that must have got you a ton of attention on that scene as well. I'm not going to lie. I mean, yeah, it did. Yeah. I mean, I was young. I was, you know, I was young. I was pretty. I was confident. And I, but the thing is as well, more than anything, I was confident. Right. You know, and you can be all of those things. And there are loads of us that are really handsome and really, you know, and, and whoever we are, and if we're not handsome, whatever we are, but some of us lack confidence. Mm-hmm. You know, and it wasn't about me walking into a club and going, I'm the best looking person there. I've and I used to think I was too skinny. I've I've got HIV at a time which when it was really stigmatized. So walking into those spaces, as much as I looked the way that I did, I had this internal struggle going on where people would find me incredibly unattractive. Yeah. So my stance was informed by my confidence, and it goes back to my parents teaching that you are valuable. Mm. So I walked into that. And because I also recognized, Chris, that we we operate in this gay world and it is predatory and it is toxic. I knew that the best way for me to cope with that was to stand up, to be strong, and nobody was going to mess with me. Mm. So it was that combination of things which enabled me to step into those spaces and hold my own because I had to. Yes. Yeah. And you mentioned the HIV. Just tell me about the, because you only found out two years after you'd come out, right? A year and a bit. A year right. and a bit, yeah. And, you know, not that it matters either way, but I have, I've noticed that you've said it's not like you were sleeping around, you know, and it doesn't matter either way. But uh, it's just, it was a real surprise, I suppose, is what I'm trying to get at. And what was that like, though, that moment when you found out? I mean, it, it was a real surprise. I mean, because one, I didn't understand that I'd been at risk. Um, I, I didn't see HIV as, 
or you know the virus as something which was in my world mm. uh, but the moment was 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 devastating and and shocking um surprise place it down a little you know it, it pulled the rug right from underneath my 17 year old feet and I've often described it as a curtain coming down on my life and my world for many many years that's the end of part one I can highly recommend part two it's full of surprises and delights it's available on the feed now what are you waiting for You can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Powered by Spirit Studios.